This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, December 30th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include details on the redline malware that can exploit auto-login features on some popular web browsers. Amazon's Alexa goofed with the penny challenge. Can we depend on AI to answer 100% of our questions? Alexa, don't answer that. And a quick tutorial on setting legacy contact information, which is a new feature on the latest Apple operating systems. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast. Veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing quite well. Did you have a Merry Christmas? Yes, I did. Yeah, it was nice to get to spend some time with family. How about you? It was great, except the weather here was terrible. Oh, no. We got to go out and walk in the woods a couple of times, and it was raining and windy, and it was terrible. But that's that's winter in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's never really terrible weather where, where I live in Southern California. I don't know. 100 degrees Fahrenheit, I would call pretty <laughs> terrible. Well, okay. I'm talking about winter weather specifically. We never really have a white Christmas. Uh, unless you live at the tip top of mountains in California, you're not really ever going to have snow in Christmas time. Okay. I've been reading about some new malware called Redline. Is this something we should worry about on the Mac? Well, that's a great question. And uh, we've actually had some people calling into our tech support and asking about this malware. So we thought it was worth bringing up. So the, the headline is that this Redline malware shows why passwords shouldn't be saved in browsers. And they say that this is information stealing malware. It targets popular web browsers such as Chrome, Edge and Opera. And the main thing for our listeners to know is that as of right now, we are only aware of Windows variants of this Redline malware. So it's not something you need to be terribly concerned about. However, there are some reasons why it is probably better to use a password manager that is separate from your browser rather than using the one that's built into your browser. And so, you know, Chrome, Edge, Opera, and a number of other browsers, uh, of course, Firefox also has has a built-in password saving functionality. You don't necessarily want to do that, if especially if you are a user of multiple devices. You've got maybe different browsers on the go, on your phone versus on your desktop. You might use different browsers when you're, you know, using your work computer versus your home computer or different things like that. So there's a lot of reasons why it's probably better anyway to be using a separate password manager rather than just the one built into your browser. But if if you are, it's not a big deal as far as this malware is concerned. You don't need to worry about it on the Mac. I noticed Safari is not in the list of browsers affected. Right. Well, and that, that kind of makes sense because, for one thing, Apple hasn't made a version of the Safari browser for Windows for a very long time. But really, the main reason is it seems like that the targeted browsers here are all based on Chromium. So we mentioned Chrome, Edge, and Opera. All of those are based on the open source Chromium architecture. So that probably has something to do with this as well. They're all saving passwords in, in a very similar way and a way that this malware can you know easily obtain your passwords if they're stored that way on on Windows. Okay, we spotted an article on TechCrunch about a USB kill cord that can instantly wipe your laptop if snatched or stolen. It's an interesting idea. It's kind of like Apple's MagSafe charger. And if the cord gets separated from the computer, 
Well, it doesn't have to wipe the computer. It can just shut it down. But you can configure it with a self-destruct command. Right. There's a looping graphic that uh, that shows what happens if you disconnect this MagSafe-like cord from your laptop. And, well, in in the image, it shows that the, the system appears to just shut off. Now, it might actually be wiping the whole system. I don't know. Um, but it, it is possible to use this with a Mac. They say... Uh, they funded this through a crowdsourcing effort, and this cable is now available to, to purchase at about $60. And it has an accompanying app for macOS, Windows, and Linux, and it allows the, the person using the cable to easily arm and disarm it <laughs> with the touch of a button. The, the most hilarious thing about this is just imagining, like, you know, this is not something you would want to leave plugged into your laptop all the time, because it's very likely that you're going to accidentally dislodge the cable and then wipe your computer or, or shut it off when you were in the middle of something. And of course, the, the target audience for this is really, for example, journalists and others who may have very sensitive information and may need at a moment's notice to wipe their computer because some, maybe somebody grabs it from you and tries to run off and tries to get whatever sensitive information you have on that laptop. You don't necessarily want them to be able to to get information from your laptop when it's unlocked. Um, it's certainly possible to do that. So somebody grabs it from you while you're using it, um, you want to make sure they're not going to be able to extract data from it. Okay, we saw an alarming story. We're going to link to the 9to5Mac article. A child asked Alexa to tell me a challenge to do, because apparently the child's parent explains on Twitter, we were doing some physical challenges like laying down and rolling over, holding a shoe on your foot, et cetera, et cetera. So the child says to Alexa, give me a challenge to do. So Alexa replies, here's something I found on the web. According to our communitynow.com, the challenge is simple. Plug in a phone charger about halfway into a wall outlet, then touch a penny to the exposed prongs. Now, I don't know about you. When I was young, I kind of did that once maybe with a screwdriver, but this could actually be fatal. And Alexa, we've been, we were looking at this at the original website and what the Alexa seems to have done is pulled the first paragraph, which is kind of the summary, but it didn't mention the bit at the end of the paragraph that says, obviously, do not attempt this. Now, it seems that this has been going on since 2020, that it's another one of these things that happened on TikTok, that, you know, one of these viral challenges on TikTok. And what's really worrisome is that Alexa can give very dangerous information. By the way, if you do happen to have an Amazon Echo device, um, you might want to mute it because we're going to say Alexa a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So if you ask Alexa uh, a question that doesn't necessarily have an answer to And it's really the same thing with Siri and and other artificial intelligences like this, right? They are they're designed to try to find an answer for you, even if it doesn't have an answer in its own database. So, for example, Siri is notorious for saying, here's something I found on the Web for and then whatever it was you're searching for. But at least Siri sends you to the Web. Right. And is you're going to have to go to the web to read the article, whereas here is not the case. It says we I found this on the web and then it reads out the beginning of it, but it cuts off before the part that says don't do this at home. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the answer in this particular case that it gave was here's something I found on the web. Okay, that's good. And then according to and it mentions the domain where it found this little snippet. But as you say, it doesn't give uh, enough context 
to know that this is something dangerous that you actually don't want to do. It, it shows the, some of the limitations of artificial intelligence, for one thing, um, that it didn't understand that it was potentially telling a child to do something that was dangerous and potentially fatal. Well, the problem here is that what it's doing is it's essentially doing a powered web search and it's eliminating the context around what it's finding. And again, it, it's taking the first sentence, but not the rest of the paragraph that says it's so dangerous. Now, before the show, we kind of delved into a Alexa a bit. And Josh had never gotten one of these emails, but every once in a while I get an email from Amazon asking me to answer Alexa questions, to contribute to a sort of a crowdsource database. If you go to alexaanswers.amazon.com, you'll find all sorts of questions that you can answer. And what you'll notice is a lot of the questions, well, they don't make any sense because a lot of them are that Alexa didn't understand the questions and isn't transcribing them very well. But some of them have really stupid answers that people have contributed. And I kind of wonder how much of those answers are going into the Alexa database to then give more disinformation to people. I, I just want to stress that Siri sucks as well. A couple of days ago, I said, what is the weather on Friday? And Siri showed me the weather for the whole week. And I didn't want the weather for the whole week. I just asked Friday. And Friday is not hard to understand. Before the show, we took one of the questions that we found on the Alexa Answers website, which is, what are the ski conditions in the Alps? And I asked Siri, who replied, it's currently sleeting and two degrees centigrade in Albania. Mm, yeah. The Alps are not in no. Albania. <laughs> not even no. close. But now that answer is not going to, you know, be fatal to you. No, but it's not hard to Google ski conditions in the Alps and find dozens of websites that list every ski resort and the conditions because they report this every morning, how many inches at different locations. I used to live near ski resorts in the Alps, and this is a very common thing. So it's not hard to lead people to that. Not being able to tell me Friday's weather and only being able to tell me the whole week's weather or... I mean, the, the, I, I don't even use Siri most of the time. I dictate questions into Safari for Google to find the answers. The only things I use Siri for are conversions in the kitchen, so temperature, cups to grams, etc., turning on timers, and doing simple math. Because half the time, Siri gets things wrong. So on top of that, I looked up the Penny Challenge because there is a new Penny Challenge. This seems to be something in the UK. If you are in the UK, you know who Martin Lewis is. He is the money-saving guy, I think he calls him. And his challenge, which just came out a day ago, he says, do you save a penny on the 1st of January? If every day you save what you saved before plus a penny more, you'll have more than 600 pounds at the end of the year. So convert it into US. If it's a penny a day, you'll have $600. So on the 1st of January, you save a penny. On the second, what you saved the day before plus a penny, so two, and then three, and then four, and then et cetera, et cetera. You're going to end up with 600 pounds by Christmas. So that's a new penny challenge. And this is only a day old, this news, apparently. We're recording this on the 29th of December. This is just a day old. So had it been a week later or two weeks later that the kid had asked this question, Maybe he would have gotten this answer, but this is a British penny challenge, so it's a little bit different. So when I went to that alexaanswers.amazon.com page and was kind of, you know, looking through some of the things on the on the main page, one of the questions that came up multiple times was, what is the penny challenge? And it had multiple answers. It was filed under miscellaneous. It had four answers. These were two different 
questions and asking this exact same question. And both of them mentioned that penny challenge, the one that to help you save money. So I, I wonder if um, maybe this is happening because a lot of people are now <laughs> asking Alexa, hey, what is the penny challenge? Because they've heard about this or they saw the article or whatever. And so now they want to know what is this penny challenge thing? And so interestingly, it seems like if you ask this question now, Alexa is going to give you an answer related to the safe penny challenge and completely avoid any mention of the dangerous penny challenge. I guess this is self-correcting, but how many people have to get injured or or die because of some so-called smart assistant sending them the wrong way? You know, we've had stories about people who followed their car's GPS devices and going into lakes and rivers because maybe it's at night and they tell you to turn right and it goes into a lake and you can't see it, that sort of thing. We shouldn't put too much trust into these things. One more thought on this. If you go to alexaanswers.amazon.com while you're not signed in, you will see if you scroll down the page as it's like explaining what Alexa Answers is, how it works, it says, see your impact. And it shows a, you know, a little cartoon character fictionally who has answered all of these questions and it shows their helpfulness. It says, Alexa customer feedback, 74% helpful. So <laughs> Amazon is saying, if you only answer three quarters of the questions accurately, according to other people, <laughs> then that's actually really good. So yeah, you should be really excited. You can see your impact in that only three quarters of your answers were very effective. So what about that other quarter? But you've got Alexa devices. Have your devices ever asked you if the answers are helpful? Um, I, maybe once or twice. I, I don't. I don't remember for sure, but uh, it's certainly not something that I I hear very often. And of course, I'm not really asking random questions all that often. Um, but but it is interesting though that, like you said, I've never actually received an, um, an email. I've gotten lots of emails from Amazon saying, you know, hey, somebody asked this question about a product that you've previously sure. purchased. Yeah. But I've never had uh, it, th that I can find anyway. Looking through my emails, I've never had it ask me, hey, you know. You might want to contribute in general to Alexa answers or ans answered this question. But I, I just think that's so, such a low bar to set. And I, I know that some <laughs> of the things that people might be asking are opinion questions. Yes. Right. And so, you know, you may get a variety of different answers depending on somebody's perspective on a particular topic, um, which is, again, not really something that necessarily is a good thing to ask a uh, an artificial intelligence because it uh, whatever answer it's going to give you is based on whatever input you know and feedback people have put into the system so yeah but see this is a good point because children are growing up now thinking that they're getting the right answers from these yeah. things so they are going to ask any kind of question one, one question i saw several times scrolling through the list is who is better ronaldo or messi now, you in the States, you don't know who Ronaldo and Messi are, but they're two of the top soccer players in the world. That is an opinion question. You, I don't think there's an objective way to say one scored more goals, so he's better or whatever. And I think as children grow up with these, they're going to come to think that they're trustworthy. And I think this is very disappointing about where humanity is going. <laughs> if 74% of answers are helpful and one out of four answers are potentially deadly. Well, <laughs> hopefully not that high of a percentage are deadly, but <laughs> at least, uh, yeah, C certainly there, there's going to be some variability in the quality of answers that you're going to get from a voice assistant. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to set your iCloud account, recovery contacts, legacy contacts, and trusted phone numbers. 
Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and Apple's latest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, iCloud. Have you ever worried about forgetting your Apple ID password and not getting access to your iCloud account? For me personally, I'm not terribly worried about forgetting my iCloud account password. It's one that I type in, you know, often enough when I'm using my device. But I can see how that could potentially be a problem, especially, you know, uh, if you have difficulty remembering um, complex things. Hopefully you have a complex password. Yes, I think that's kind of important. Well, Apple has a new feature with iOS 15, iPadOS 15, and Mac. OS Monterey, you can set up what's called a recovery contact. You can choose a person you want to be able to help you get back into your account if you forget your password. So you want to choose someone, let's say you're someone in your family, your wife, your partner, your children, or something like that, someone you really trust. You'll choose that person and they will get added to your account as a contact, you will get added to their account as someone for whom they're a contact. So if you lose your password, you call that person or you send them a text message and you ask them to go into their Apple device and get a recovery code for you. Does that make sense? It's a little bit confusing. So person A sets up person B as the contact. And then when person A loses the password, gets in touch with person B who gives them a recovery code to let them get back in. Right. And and this is a really important point. I think that it's a recovery code. It's not that the other person will ever know your password, which is good. You don't want Never. to share your password. They with can't other access your data or anything. Yeah. All they're doing is they're being a trusted third party, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You've nominated them and they've confirmed that they're nominated. You get a text message. You have to click on a link or tap on a link and they have to have Apple devices for this in order to do this. So this fits with Apple's chain of trust. And, and I came up with this term a couple of years ago, talking about how all the devices are linked from one to another to authenticate you. And this is another way that Apple uses that with someone else that you've trusted, who then you can trust back in the other direction. And this would be something that would be good for you to do with your children. I know you have a family sharing group. And if you set yourself up as a recovery contact, it's automatic. The children don't have to approve it. So if they do forget their passwords, you can automatically get them back into their accounts. Other than that, they have to go into a recovery mode and answer questions. So this new feature is great both for you and I, who might just forget our passwords if we have, you know, uh, if you fall off a ladder or something, or for someone who's managing a family group with children. 
Right. Actually, you know, that's not something that I had thought about doing, you know, setting up a, a recovery account for my kids' iCloud accounts. Um, and they don't really type in their password all that often. They actually probably don't have their iCloud passwords memorized. You know, what we'll do is uh, my wife or I will will download an app. And then when we install that app on their device, we can go, you know, into our purchase history and then download the app for them because we're all part of the same family, you know, uh, sharing group. Okay. So the next thing I talk about is trusted phone numbers. And this is something that Apple's had for a while. Now, with two-factor authentication on Apple devices, you generally need another Apple device to get a code to log into an Apple device. You can also get an SMS sent to your phone number. But what if you lose your phone? If you set up a trusted phone number for someone else, they can get the code that allows you to log in. Now, I think the best example of this is, let's say you're on a business trip and you've lost your phone. You need to buy a new one. You need to sign into your account, but you can't do it because you don't have your SIM card. You don't have the same device, et cetera. So you call someone when you're going to sign into your account, they'll get the six digit code that you can type in and you can put a number of, I don't know how many trusted phone numbers you can enter here. I've put in three. I think you can put dozens of them if you want. One thing that I would add here is if, if you do have friends who have changed their phone numbers uh, and, and you've previously trusted them, make sure that you find out what their new number is so that you can remove the old phone number and add the correct one on. And also make sure you add your own phone number because Apple's support document about this says that in some cases, if it's your own phone number, you won't need to get an extra code. Oh. So again, this is the case that you've damaged your iPhone, you've replaced it with a new one, so you put the SIM card in. And I think in that case, you won't even need the extra code to get into your account. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. They're, they're trusting your SIM card in that case. Uh-huh. So the third thing I talk about is a legacy contact. And this is something that just came out, what, 10 days ago in iOS and iPadOS 15.2 and macOS 12.1. A couple years ago, and I'll link in the show notes to an article about your digital legacy, and I had written about a particular case where a woman had had to sue to get access to data that her late husband had had in his iCloud account. And Apple's iCloud terms and conditions said, you know, basically, the account disappears at your death. They've changed the terms and conditions to mention the legacy contact. So a legacy contact is adding someone you trust, such as the iCloud account recovery contact we mentioned earlier. And this is someone who, if you pass away, they will have an access key and a copy of your death certificate. Apple will create a special Apple ID so they can access your account. So they won't get your Apple ID. They won't get all of your data, by the way. They'll get your photos and your email, but they won't get any of your purchases because you don't actually buy any digital media. You rent it. You buy it. And then if you die, you can't pass it on legally. But this is a really good thing to do because for many years we have talked about the problem that you, this data just disappears. In my article on Digital Legacy, I mentioned a couple of solutions such as take an encrypted disk image, put it someplace where a trusted member of your family, spouse, children, whatever, can access it with your Apple ID password, your password manager password, et cetera, as secure as possible. Because you think of all the data you have access to that's protected by passwords that only you know. Right. This this is something that I think everyone should really think about, regardless of whether we're talking about iCloud or, or other types of accounts. You know, there probably are some things that you don't want to just completely disappear and nobody ever have access to again. It's very likely that somebody close to you um, will want to have access um, to, you know, um, 
you know, post some final update. Maybe there's some uh, conversation that was really important that was going on that they, you know, uh, need to be a part of in order to kind of finalize things. Or to get access to your photos. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's something that's really important to, you know, to another member of your family to be able to see the photos that uh, that you've been taking of the of the kids, for example, over the years. Um, you know, these are something that you, you don't want to lose. And so I'm, I'm glad that Apple gives us the option to add, uh, you know, a, a legacy contact, they call it. So um, you never have to worry too much. As long as you've got this actually set up, then you never really have to worry about losing all of this information. Of course, this is only for your information in your iCloud account. If you're using Google Photos, that's a different story. If you're using Flickr, that's another story. So you need to consider each account is different. Now, when you do this, you have the option to send a message to someone telling them that they've been added as a legacy contact. And this works if they're on an Apple device. If they're not, you can print a copy of the access key, which is basically a QR code with like a 36 character, like a software license type thing. And it's a good idea to print that out anyway and put it with any documents you may have for estate planning or will or anything like that. I've included a screenshot of the text message that gets sent to the person. And I think it's a good idea to warn someone if they're going to get this, where it says, I've added you as my legacy contact. This means that you will have access to the data in my account after my death. And if you kind of get a text message like that out of the blue, that might be a little surprising. Someone might think you're about to harm yourself. So warn someone before you go through this process. Very good point. Yeah. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, so, and, and the full, the rest of the text says, I'm, I'm sharing an access key with you. So the rest of it's a little bit like, kind of like techno babble. <laughs> it might be, again, that also might be very confusing to somebody to receive that out of the blue. Um, but yeah, definitely talk with the person that you're going to make your legacy contact before you actually go through that process. What you do mention though, in the text after this is I'm sharing an access key with you that will be automatically saved in your account settings. So if you do have an iCloud account, it will be saved and you don't have to worry. Still a good idea to print it out because what if that person's not around and someone else gets access? You know, it's, you, you kind of, we don't want to think about these things, but it's a good idea. I'm guessing Apple made this change because there have been more and more lawsuits. There was one just recently, a few months ago in Germany, I believe, where a, a woman wanted to get access to photos that her spouse had taken. And it's over the years, you know, this is new, right? This sort of thing with online accounts and data that's so important is new. It, when did iCloud start? 2000, the earliest versions of iCloud, MobileMe or iTools or whatever. So it's not surprising that it's taken years for companies to establish a way to deal with this. I know that Facebook allows you to create, I think it's called a memorial account. I'll link in the show notes to my article on a digital legacy. I don't know about other services. So it's something to look into. If you do have data with Google, or as I said, Flickr or Instagram or anything else, you might want to look into it. If there's anything you think is important, particularly family pictures, videos, that sort of thing is probably the most important. Right. Absolutely. And and again, as, as you mentioned, password managers, that, that's a really important one too, because there may be a a lot of other things that probably don't have legacy contact options. And um, those kind of accounts would be really important to share with a spouse or, or, or somebody else that is really close to you and, and could need access to those kind of things after you die. Okay, that's enough for this week. It's going to be a new year the next time we talk. So until next year, Josh, stay secure. That's right. So stay secure. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. 
To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.